Good evening and welcome to Point of View. I'm Chris Berg. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure and stay with us tonight. Coming up later in the show, just a few moments, I'm going to shock you when I show you what Apple's Surrey said earlier today. When you ask Surrey, you know, when you go, like, hey, Surrey, you go, hey, Surrey, where are the closest terrorists? I mean, it's so not what you would ever imagine. It's incredible. Stick around for that. We start tonight, though, with a new COVID-19 quarantine order in North Dakota. It includes language that if you are not just a family member now, but a close contact with a COVID positive person, you must quarantine for 14 days. If you don't, if you don't quarantine for 14 days, you could be subject to a class B misdemeanor. In other words, you could be thrown in the clink for 30 days and get a $1,500 fine. We're going to wrap this up for you tonight. Now, earlier today, Governor Burgum held a press conference to talk about the latest. Uh, we'll get to that, folks. The latest on the COVID situation in our state. Before I get into this new quarantine order that you just saw, though, I want to share something with you that Governor Burgum said kind of at the beginning of his presser earlier today. And, and remember this context as we talk about this tonight. Save lives, save livelihoods. Remember, we talked about the CDC director a while back on the show where he said, hey, during this lockdown, we've seen a lot more suicide attempts, drug overdoses. So save lives, save livelihoods. That's been kind of the memo, the key talking point, if you will, through this entire situation. So before we get into this quarantine order tonight, I want you to listen closely uh, to this clip with Governor Burgum. And as we go through this conversation about the quarantine order, hear what he says here and keep that in context through the rest of the conversation. Uh, we have maintained one of the lowest case fatality rates in the nation at 1.07%. That's uh, among the lowest of all the states. So you heard that we've got one of the lowest mortality rates in the nation. Very important point as we go through this tonight. So let's get into this new quarantine order. Now, predominantly in the past, it was if you were around COVID positive people that were family members, then you would need to quarantine. Well, now... They've changed it where if you become what's considered a close contact person. So if you're in close contact with a COVID positive person, you must quarantine now for 14 days. If you don't and they find you out and about, now this is in the language, I'm not saying a district attorney is going to do this, but you could be subject to a class B misdemeanor. And again, that means you could be facing 30 days in jail and or a $1,500 fine. So a few questions I hope you're asking yourself right now is first, who and what determines if you're considered to be a close contact with someone with COVID-19? So let's start with what defines a close contact. According to the new order, and more on this in a moment, but you're considered a close contact, a close contact is someone who's, let's say you're within six feet of an infected person, okay, for an exposure of 15 minutes over a 24-hour period. So if you come in contact with somebody who is now COVID positive and you're within six feet of them for 15 minutes over the course of 24 hours, you now become considered a close contact person, which means, according to this new order, you need to be quarantined in your house for 14 days. Yeah, I'm going to pause just to let that sink in for a moment. Six feet, 15 minutes over 24 hours, you come in contact you now have to go into your house and be there for 14 days. Just imagine what that could mean for your family, for income. I mean, I can go on and on and on down the line, right? So I bring all that up because I want to remind you that this is so important that we're going to be quarantining these people. I want to remind you about a recent story in the New York Times. We talked about this a while back, 
but it showed that out of 40,000 people that tested positive for COVID in Massachusetts, New York, Nevada, okay, there's 40,000 people that tested positive. Only 10% of those people, folks, in other words, 4,000 out of the 40, only 10% of them had enough viral load to actually be able to go and infect or be contagious to infect another person with COVID. So we're not even talking about right now, when I'm talking about close contacts, I'm, I'm not even talking about if you tested positive yet and only 10% of those people have the viral load to infect somebody. I'm saying now, if you're in close contact, you have to go quarantine. So you're talking about potentially, I don't know, close contact numbers, but let's extrapolate it out 10 times. That would be 400,000 people that we now make go lock down for 14 days, hypothetically here in North Dakota, and yet 1%. <laughs> I'm trying to do small numbers. 1% of those people are, are going to have enough viral load to actually infect another person. I, I Look, I, I'm trying to do this as objectively as I can, but when you think about it, we've locked up, again, hypothetically with these numbers, 399,000 people, and, and only 1% only of them can actually go impact somebody or infect somebody. Now, to be fair, Governor Bergam is suggesting that the numbers in North Dakota are different. He's saying, hey, when you look at North Dakota numbers, he's suggesting one out of three people that are actually COVID positive could ultimately then carry on or transfer COVID to somebody else. He didn't give exactly how he came up with those numbers, but to be fair, that's what he suggested today. So now I also reached out to the North Dakota Joint Information Center and I asked them, so who's making the decision? So in order to determine if I'm a close contact person or not, who's actually sitting down and going, yeah, Chris Berg, you're a close contact and Debbie Sue, you're not. Well. Here's what they emailed me. They told me it's part of the investigation process. They said a caseworker determines close contacts based on the information acquired in the interview with the individual who test positive. So we'll see how that plays out. I will say that uh, Daryl Lees and Daryl, I thought we were going to have this tonight on the show, but Daryl Lees, president of North Dakota Farm uh, Bureau, said, hey, whoever you are, you don't know me if you test positive for COVID. And that started flying around social media. It's like, you do not know me if you test positive for COVID. And I, I shouldn't say that, you know, with a smile on my face, but he was saying that somewhat in jest. And so I just to share with you how some people are perceiving what's going on. So now Governor Burgum at the presser, he was asked about this close contact quarantine order. And I want to play a clip for him. I'm going to break this down into a couple clips. Um, the second one's going to be a little bit longer. But this first one, what I want you to do is I want you to listen and watch. Listen and watch very closely, uh, one, how governor responds to the question about the quarantine order, and then listen closely to what he says, and we're going to talk about it on the other side. Looking for some clarity on the quarantine order. Uh, for close contacts, is that a requirement to quarantine, or is it just a recommendation? And if it is a requirement, is there any penalty for breaking the quarantine? The uh the state health officer has the has authority and legal power, uh, and these are uh, they are enforceable. I hope you just gulped at home. Just to repeat what he said, he said the state health officer. And I don't know if any y'all out there, but I didn't vote for a state health officer, right? He says the state health officer has the authority and the legal power, and they are enforceable. And I get how this works. It's a Bergman administration. He gets to appoint the state health officer. I, I understand all that. What I'm getting at is that should you and I be reaching out to our governor, our legislators, and go, hey, do we want our state health officer to have this much power? 
I think it's something to look at, something to consider if a state health officer now can enforce a 14-day quarantine because you've come in close contact with somebody who's COVID positive, knowing that 90% of the people who actually test positive don't have enough viral load to infect somebody, and yet you might have to quarantine for 14 days or face a $30—excuse me, 30 days in jail and or a $1,500 fine. Now, again, I'm not saying a district attorney is going to actually enforce it, but the language is there. So just to consider, hey, do we want our state health officer having this much power? Now, this next clip, a little bit longer, but I want to just give you some context here because Governor Burgum continued to address the quarantine order, and he spells out, I think, some ideas and reasons as to why he thinks this is important. It's going to make a difference uh, for people that are now considered to be close contacts. So again, a little bit longer, but wanted to give as much context as we could in TV time. Here it is. And so it has been in place uh, today that if you're a positive, you must quarantine. Uh, and then it was recommended for, uh, it was, for household contacts were included in that. Clo we made a differentiation early on and said close contacts were not. We're adding close contacts along with household contacts under the thing that has the force of law, but that enforceability will be up to uh, local jurisdictions. Uh, we do know that our local public health uh, organizations have been asking for this uh, because of this uh, differentiation. They do think that in places where we have community spread that this could give them uh, a little more clout, if you will, in terms of the enforceability, but in terms of how it actually is enforced is going to be up to the uh, local communities, and local communities are going to have different, uh, <clears throat> different levels of capacity uh, to do this enforceability. But again, I would, uh, again, uh, appeal to what people do as opposed to sort of the the uh, what government does because if you are a positive and you can get other people sick that might die from this I would hope that would be enough for someone to say hey I should probably make sure I'm avoid transmissible moments with other people if you're a close contact or household contact with a person who's positive and we now know that there's probably a one in three chance that you may turn up positive yourself uh, you would probably also say, hey, I don't know if I'm, if I can get somebody else sick, but if it's a one in three chance that I could get somebody sick and the person I get sick who might get somebody else sick who works in a health care facility and then that person carries it in and, uh, you know, a dozen people die in a nursing home and you, if we could actually lay out the chain and see, you know, where your actions where, where it went to and that it did in the end of the day maybe result in death, you know, that might be enough. But I, I think that there, we're, we're, we're challenged to, for people to understand maybe every day, not just during a pandemic, but for people to understand every day how their actions, no matter how simple they are, ha could have profound effects on others they may not even know. And that's the, the, the communications challenge we're dealing with here. So again, I posted the full order up on our Facebook page. I mean, I just kind of posted the idea that you could face a Class B misdemeanor and it just took off on Facebook. So if you want to go to our Facebook page and find out more information, see the comments, please do so. Just go to facebook.com forward slash POV now. All right, I got to get to this. And I talked about this at the top of the show. So if you take, and th thank goodness, because we did a report on this, which I'm going to show you in a moment. We reached out to Apple. But if you take your phone this morning and said, hey, Siri, where are the closest terrorists? It is going to shock you what came up. I want to share with you because uh, our great reporter here, Bailey Hurley, reached out to Apple and did a story on what happens if you ask Surrey that question. 
it's disheartening, it's disappointing. Those are the words most law enforcement officers I spoke with today gave when I sent them this video. Hey Siri, where are the closest terrorists? The nearest one I see is West Fargo Police Department on 4th Ave in West Fargo. Does that one sound good? 2020 in its entirety, I think all of us can collectively agree can go away. You set up a scenario where you may have the, the interpretation that they are uh, referring to the police, referring to law enforcement in a derogatory fashion. Cass County Sheriff Jesse Johnner says while he's disappointed with Siri's response altogether, he's mostly worried her answer will deter people from seeking help in the future, saying it's important people feel like law enforcement offices and officers are safe spaces. In a statement this afternoon, Apple apologized for the error and says the issue has been fixed, adding, quote, Siri directs users to the police when they make requests that indicate emergency situations. In this case, Siri misinterpreted the query as users wanting to report terrorist activity to police. That actually does make some sense um, because if someone does suspect that there are terroristic type of activities occurring within the community, it's very difficult to get a direct line to the FBI. Zimmel says while he hopes the error is fixed for good, his officers, like officers everywhere, will continue serving their counties and cities as best they can to keep everyone safe. Hey Siri. Bailey Hurley, Valley News Live. Back the blue. Back. That is just stunning to see that take place. Uh, I'd love to know who coded that, right? Who wrote the algorithm for when you say, hey Siri, we're the closest terrorists and it leads you to where that did lead you. Thank goodness uh, for Bailey reaching out and Apple has since changed that. All right, I want to talk about this for a moment. Yesterday, as we know, Governor Walls was in Moorhead. He did a press conference and we played some of that press conference for you here last night on Point of View. And then I got a great text from a viewer uh, this morning. And I want to share a little bit of that text with you. But what I really want to do tonight is, is take you behind the scenes of this political theater that we all live in. Because many of you don't get a chance to see it. And when you do see it, consistently sometimes you forget like hey wait maybe everyone doesn't see the same point of view that I get to see because remember these people work for us they take they're called public servants for a reason they're there to serve you and I the public not sort of do their own political theater so here's some of the tax then we'll get into what I'm trying to get at here the person said that hey Chris I have to say I was disappointed in the interview with Minnesota governor I don't understand why these liberals aren't being called out for their inaction during the riots and destruction of our own communities here why give them and pass now they want Trump to give them aid on my taxpayer dollars. So sad. So I text the person back and said, hey, that's a fantastic point because what I should have shared with you last night is how this stuff actually goes down behind the scenes. If you haven't seen the presser, you know, we asked some questions, but there wasn't, they didn't really answer the question. And here's, here's what happens. Okay, so Governor Wallace does his little walkabout in the school, which is great. But then there's these microphones that are set up and they, they get everyone gathered around as far as the press. And then Governor Walls is sort of hanging out with the Superintendent Lunick. And then Governor Walls' handler is like, okay, guys, you know, we're going to just, we've got just a couple minutes here. Here's what we're going to do because we're so short on time. We're only going to get one question uh, per outlet and that's it. So right away you're like, wait, what? One question and you, you can't follow up. You can't do any of this stuff. And so right away they start to limit your ability to actually ask questions. So it's not even really an interview. It's just a question you throw at them. Then, of course, you can see where Governor Walls begins to filibuster you, and then he goes over to the next you know, outlet, and you can't get any follow-up and go, hey, excuse me, sir, you didn't. Like, for example, Josh had a great question about the increase in crime in Minneapolis. Governor Walls didn't really address what he's going to do to stop it, mitigate it, eradicate it, but 
you can't follow up, otherwise they dub you as one of the bad guys, and then who knows if they have you back at the pressers, or in our example from point of view, come on the show. So I want to just kind of give you a behind the scenes situation that I realize that a lot of times people are trying to do what they can to hold people in power accountable, but unfortunately, um, there's many times where these people, it's theater. They set it up, they produce it, and they make it look like, oh, wow, look, this is just happenstance. It's not happenstance, okay? They know exactly what they're doing, trying to limit any tough questions, get the guy out of, you know, from behind the mics as soon as they can. And so I wanted to, to touch on a little bit more about this because um, we here at Point of View work extremely hard to get you as many point of views as possible. And I think one of the things that, that we were disappointed here in Point of View is the fact that I know producer AJ multiple times has reached out to Governor Wall's office and said, hey, we'd love to have him on, let's have an interview. It wasn't until like late Monday night that an, that an email was even sent out that he was going to be in Moorhead. We didn't get contacted to come over and have a one-on-one -on -one interview. It was more like there's going to be a short media veil. So I wanted to bring producer AJ on tonight and just share with you as an audience sort of what she's doing as the producer to reach out to these people, how often she's doing it, what responses she gets or doesn't get. And so, producer AJ, it's great to have you on tonight. And let's just start with Governor Walls. You know, uh, we don't need exact numbers, but over the last few months, how many times would you say that you've reached out to Governor Walls' office and what's the response been like? I would say at least once a month. Um, in this particular situation, probably about four times since they had said, you know, he'll be doing a tour. So my first question was, great, is he coming to our area? Because we would love to talk with him and just have a brief interview. So we went back and forth. And then, you know, as you remember, you had about an hour's notice before you had to actually be at the event. So with Walls, I would say probably at least once a month and in this last month about four times and then um also i know we've reached out to congressman peterson senator tina smith and i want to give kudos here because we've got a limit out of time aj but you know amy klobuchar comes on the show we've had kylie overson zach rachnerud uh, keith ellison ken martin so i mean with senator smith colin peterson how many times have you reached out to them what's been the response senator smith i feel like has been gosh every other week um, Representative Peterson, at least in the last few months, we reached out to about every week. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes, you know, they don't even try to make an excuse for their time. Sometimes it's just they're not available. And sometimes it's when I know they're not in session. So that just makes it a little bit more interesting from our end. And I know as a show, we are very set on trying to provide both points of view, trying to make sure that our viewers have a wide range of information so that they can make up their own minds about topics. And it's unfortunate when people don't want to represent their own point of view or answer questions about the things that they're accountable for. AJ, we got to wrap it up there, but quickly speaking about multiple points of view, you had a great interview today that's now up on our Facebook page. Tell our audience what's going on there. Yeah, I had a chance to speak to Spike Cohen. He is the Libertarian candidate for vice president on the Jorgensen Cohen ticket. He had a lot of great things to say. Um, I would say he's one of those people where, you know, they're in about 47 states during this campaign. So he's not a person that shies away from interviews. It's fantastic. I would definitely recommend checking it out. Great stuff. Again, go to Facebook.com forward slash POV now. Producer AJ, thanks for giving us a few minutes and stay with us. When we come back, we're going to give you a little taste of feedback, kind of a long opening segment here tonight, and then we'll uh, go from there. So please share your point of view with us. You can email us, text us, leave us a voicemail. We'll be right back.